Welcome back to the Alligator Podcast. My name is Gary Gowdy, and today we are here with Bailey Diem, who works with the Metro Desk as a general assignment reporter. Bailey, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so today we're going to talk about your story that you wrote um, for this week's paper regarding the rapid expansion that is going on in Gainesville. And, you know, obviously this is something as students that we see all the time. Um, it seems like construction never really stops in Gainesville. So explain the story in your own words. Yeah, I mean, I noticed uh, the increase in residential development myself, uh, and I really just wanted to know what Gainesville residents think about it. I think we've heard sometimes from UF students, uh, they might benefit more from it, uh, local uh, adjacent, campus adjacent apartments um, have been built pretty frequently. Uh, but I think we very rarely hear the permanent residence perspective of this. And in this story, I really, I interviewed Gainesville residents trying to figure out what they thought about it as permanent residents of the city. And some of them are concerned about the aesthetic of Gainesville changing. Uh, some of the recent residential buildings don't really match the same vibe uh, that historically Gainesville has had. And some have experienced increased traffic because of this increased uh, development and others are concerned about potential environmental impacts of it. Okay, yeah, and all those I think are valid concerns um, from the original citizens of Gainesville. I feel like oftentimes when we look at it, we only really think about it from the student perspective. So I think it's super interesting that you got not only a student, but the original residents of the area. So my next question for you is, how do you think the implementation of the new construction will impact the city of Gainesville as a whole? Well, I know uh, we've definitely noticed increased traffic um, in different parts, especially where these new developments are coming up. So I'm sure that's just going to continue to increase um, unless they kind of create better infrastructure, I think, to keep up with that. Um, that is something that Gainesville residents have noticed with this new development. Um, and I know it's it's going to change uh, as as one of my sources said in the story, the character of Gainesville is inevitably going to change uh, with this increase in development. And whether that's good or bad, that's really up to each individual person, but it's definitely shifting. Yeah, and I'm sure that, you know, as a lot of these big apartment complexes and condos take shape in their final form, we'll definitely be able to see a more finalized kind of impact of what exactly this construction will do to the city as a whole so i feel like that's definitely something that we as you know students and citizens of the city should keep track of as time goes on um so my final question for you today is you know we talked a lot about kind of how this construction will negatively impact the city of gainesville so let's flip the script a little bit um, and my question to you is, do you see any positives coming out of all this new construction in Gainesville? I mean, I definitely say this increased residential development is allowing for more people uh, to live in Gainesville. Uh, and some people might think that's a negative thing. Uh, but on the other hand, it is bringing in a lot of new people. Uh, there's the potential for development beyond just residential development. Uh, new businesses, 
uh, new jobs, just more people in general brings, I think, more opportunity for Gainesville to expand as a city. Okay, so, you know, you're essentially talking about maybe a boost in the economy, which, you know, every American loves a little boost in the economy where we can get it. Um, so, you know, hopefully, obviously, there are negative outliers that we see from this new construction, but hopefully, in the end, the positives will outweigh the negatives. So that's kind of all the questions I have for you today. Do you have any, you know, final statements you'd like to make about the story? I don't think so. I just know it's definitely interesting uh, to look at it and see all of di the different impacts, good or bad, that this is having on Gainesville. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bailey, for, you know, giving me some of your time today. And we hope to have you back on the pod soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Have a great day. Welcome back to the Alligator Podcast. This is Gary Gowdy, your host. And today I'm here with Daniel Bednar, who is a criminal justice reporter that works with the Metro Desk at the Alligator. And this week he wrote an article about Gainesville crime from a prosecutor's point of view. Daniel, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. We're super happy to have you on here and excited to see what you have to say about your article, which leads me into my first question. What is your article about? Sure. So this is an article really about criminal prosecution in Gainesville, uh, really focused on the state attorney of the Eighth Circuit, Brian Kramer. Uh, he's basically the, the head honcho of criminal prosecution here in Gainesville. Uh, he makes all the big decisions about which cases to prosecute, uh, which just to bring. Uh, so the article really talks a lot about what his job is, what his responsibilities are, um, some of the crime trends that he's seeing in the Gainesville area, and also what prosecutors in general have to go through in their day-to-day -day experiences and their day-to-day -day work. Okay. So, you know, I feel like this is something that is not often thought about. You know, we think about crime and reporting on crime and, you know, you really only focus on the crime itself, not necessarily, you know, kind of the background workings that go on, um, which I think is important that we kind of bring light to, which leads to my next question. You know, when you're talking to the prosecutor, what were some of the difficult tasks that were highlighted by him? Right. And I, I completely agree. It's it's important to see behind the scenes all the key players in the system. And prosecution is a huge part of that. They hold all the discretion in deciding what to do with these cases. But like you mentioned there, there are a lot of downsides to it as well. Um, they are continuously exposed to lots of violence, uh, murders, different types of assault. And eventually, when you see enough of those cases, you begin to have this secondhand trauma, what experts are now calling vicarious trauma. And it's something that used to be very stigmatized and not talked about often. Nowadays, uh, Kramer was talking about how his office provides a lot of support to prosecutors that are experiencing this. Um, and how it's really something that they encourage people to be open about. Um, but it's definitely a major problem for these prosecutors. And we're glad that they're working to uh, move forward and move on from that. Yeah, um, it's definitely pretty sad that, you know, their job is so 
underrepresented by the media i feel like you know you you know like i was saying they report on crimes and kind of just the juicy details that you know nosy people want to hear about um and it definitely takes a special person to handle these sort of situations so we are definitely grateful um which leads into my next question you know we as citizens of gainesville you know, we notice things kind of in the streets when we go out and sometimes we feel safe, sometimes we don't. Kind of just depends on which part of Gainesville you're in. So I was just wondering, you know, what is happening with the general crime trends in the city of Gainesville overall? I have to say, I was quite surprised when I started working as the criminal justice reporter here to see just how much crime actually occurs in Gainesville. Most of it isn't really reported a lot of it you see, but from my perspective, I definitely saw a surprising amount of crime and the state attorney, Brian Kramer, agrees as well. Um, he said that we are seeing more violent crime in the urban population of Gainesville, um, in the main areas of Gainesville. And a lot of that he personally attributed to staffing shortages. Uh, the Alachua County Sheriff's Office had 250 vacant open positions, uh, which was nearly a quarter of their entire workforce. And what happens in that situation, according to Kramer, criminals like to weigh the costs and the benefits of committing a crime. And when they see that there's not a whole lot of enforcement in certain areas, the cost of committing crime is relatively low and the potential benefits they could get are extremely high. And so the staffing shortages, as well as something that he briefly mentioned, uh, was a historical lack of support from the city providing support to Gainesville police officers as well. So all of that is contributing to this rise in crime. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it's definitely something that you wouldn't know unless you spoke directly to Kramer, because as a citizen of Gainesville, you know, I feel like everywhere I turn, there's a police car somewhere around. And that could be because, you know, we're on the university and that's UFPD, which is separate from Alachua County in a way. Um, but it's definitely kind of shocking to learn that not only is crime increasing, it's violent crime, um, which is something that I definitely think that, you know, we as people should stop doing overall but you know obviously that's not going to happen it's just kind of just the way the story goes um but yeah daniel thank you so much for coming on today um and answering my questions you know do you have any final thoughts slash remarks that you'd like to leave us with today yeah just i i think it's really important like i said to learn some of the background information about the criminal justice system because that's how we can all learn how to make change and where the changes will be most effective. So I'm really glad that uh, we're getting to cover this important topic. Yeah, for sure. And I, I agree 100% with you. It, it all starts with us. Um, so Daniel, again, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an honor to have you on here and thank you for giving us the time today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Welcome back to the Alligator Podcast. Today I'm here with Zoe Thomas, who works with the University Desk as the University Administration Reporter. Zoe, how are you doing today? I'm good. How's your day going? It's going pretty good. 
Um, so I read your article about SAS's first year as the president here at UF, and I was just wondering if you could explain the story in your own words. Yeah, I got you. So for President SAS's first year in office, he took office officially on February 6th of 2023, and it's been exactly a year. So the alligator wanted to do kind of like a year in review, a little recap of what he's been up to. And one of the highlights of the article was that basically, um, since it was announced he was going to be president, so like a year and a half ago, we've been trying to get him to do an interview with us. And we haven't had any luck, but for this article, we actually did get him to do a Q&A with us via email. So we got to ask him some questions, answered our questions, and the article it's just kind of comparing the responses he gave about his goals for the university to the responses I got from people who work with him and what they said his goals were and just kind of summarizing what he's been up to. Okay. It's pretty interesting that, you know, you've been trying for a year and yet you still can't get them, um, which is odd, but we'll move on to the next <laughs> question. So the next question I have for you today um is you know you talked about how sass has kind of been we'll say low-key in his first year since being in office at uf you know he's not really seen as much as some people would think you know when compared to our previous president here at uf but how would you say sass has impacted the university since coming into office yeah i would say that in terms of what he's actually done he spent most of the first year just kind of learning how things work and talking to people and figuring things out and not so much putting plans into place yet so I feel like we'll start to see more of an actual impact from his decisions on the university next year but as far as how he's impacted it I do think it goes beyond his actual um, decisions or plans I think he's brought a very different vibe to campus and I've talked to some LGBTQ students and faculty who said that it just makes them kind of uncomfortable having a president that they know has previously spoken out of like against gay marriage and stuff so in a decision making stance I don't know if we've really felt his effects yet in a vibe sense that just depends on who you ask. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, I, I feel like it's it, it's definitely a tough role to kind of jump into. So I, I guess I understand where he's coming from with kind of learning the lay of the land. And I definitely remember as a student, whenever SAS took his position, how much of not necessarily a controversy there was, but there were definitely a lot of talks, um, to say the least. Um, so that kind of segues into my last question. You know, one of the things you highlighted in your article was about how SAS was talking about how he has over 200 goals he wants to instill while he's serving his you know, tenure as president of the University of Florida. But there were a few that you talked about in your article regarding bright futures changes and the implementation of a dual core education. So out of those three or four that you mentioned throughout your article, which one would you say is the one that we should really pay close attention to? Yeah, you just mentioned it, but I think the dual core initiative that he's focusing on 
is something that could have a big effect on, I mean, every student at UF. And it was something I hadn't even heard of until I started writing this article because it's a pretty new idea. But basically changing the core curriculum of what classes students have to take to get their degree um, is something that could, you know, it could really like shake up your whole education experience because that core is what you build all of your knowledge on. And I think that having a separate core, one for STEM students and one for humanity students, which is what the kind of dual core idea comes from, could be cool. And as long as they're still allowing for crossover between the two, so for STEM students who take humanities classes and vice versa, as long as that crossover is still happening, I do think it'd be a good way to get like a more well-rounded education. So I'm interested to see kind of how that shakes out for sure. Yeah, reading about it, it definitely sounded interesting. I'm um, talking about humanities students because one thing SAS really touched on, at least throughout your article, was the implementation of AI technology amongst all of you know majors as a whole. So having these STEM students take humanities courses and humanities people taking STEM courses, I think it's definitely interesting. But you know, I'm definitely interested to see how it plays out throughout its implementation. Um, so yeah, so that's all the questions I have for you today. Are there any kind of final remarks you'd like to leave us with today? Oh, wow. Final remarks. Um, <laughs> I think that I think that talking with the people that Sass has been working with gave me some clarity as to what he's been up to but I really do think in this upcoming year we should start paying even more close attention to what he's doing because that's when all these big plans he's been working on are actually going to start to carry out so I think that I know there was a lot of like buzz when he first came to campus about like what's he going to do what's he going to do and I feel like that's kind of died away and I feel like we need to keep that going and keep holding him accountable for the decisions he's making all right well thank you so much zoe for joining us today we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop onto the alligator podcast we look forward to talking to you soon thank you i had a great time all right we'll talk to you later <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today on the alligator podcast if you enjoyed the episode please be sure to like and share amongst all of your friends again my name is gary gowdy and thank you for listening